This podcast is sponsored by Jabra Enhance. Getting hearing aids is no picnic. It's expensive, confusing, time-consuming, right? Actually, no. With the Jabra Enhance Select and Premium Package, you can get state-of-the-art hearing aids and professional care without the hassle. Jabra Enhance offers advanced rechargeable hearing aids delivered to your door for thousands less than you'd expect. No offices, no waiting rooms. Just take the online hearing test to personalize your hearing aids. Enjoy speech clarity, noise reduction, and hearing technology that adapts to your unique sound environments. And the audiology team can provide adjustments to your hearing aids remotely on request for three years. And the best part? You'll likely pay thousands less than if you went to a traditional audiologist. And now for a limited time, save $200 when you order Jabra Enhanced Select Hearing Aids with promo code PODCAST. Go to jabraenhance.com and enter promo code PODCAST to save. jabraenhance.com code PODCAST. For eligible individuals 18 and older in 50 United States and Washington, D.C. with mild to moderate hearing loss only, audiology team may not be able to program hearing aids for some types of hearing loss. See website for details and important safety information. Welcome to the Midlife Male Podcast, a podcast designed to help men maximize middle age and live healthier, wealthier, stronger, and happier. I am Greg Scheinman, and I'm inviting you to join the thousands of men who listen each week, receive my Midlife Male newsletter, and are committed to making this next phase of life our best phase. If you have not yet downloaded my No BS Guide to Maximizing Midlife, where I break down the three principles to maximizing middle age and taking back some of that shit you've given up, head on over to midlifemail.com forward slash No BS Guide. Guys are loving these three principles to maximizing middle age, and you can download your copy today at midlifemail.com forward slash No BS Guide. All right, guys, here we go. Greg Scheinman here. Another week, another episode of the Midlife Mail Podcast. Before we get into this week's show, I've got to say thank you, thank you, thank you to each and every one of you guys out there. The Midlife Mail book was released on November 1st, and it went to number one new release on Amazon uh, in a number of categories. It was a midlife category. Didn't even know that. We hit number one. Self-help hit number one all because of you guys. So if you haven't gotten your copy yet, go over to Amazon, pick up the Midlife Mail, a no BS guide to living better, longer, happier, healthier, and wealthier, and having more fun in your 40s and 50s, and get it delivered to your house right now. There's actually an audio version and a Kindle version as well. If you are one of the people who have bought the book already, again, Thank you, thank you, thank you. Spread the word. Keep the midlife male movement growing. I am incredibly grateful. Now, let's get to this week's episode. My good friend, John Livesey, is on the show. John is a sales keynote speaker and author, and he is known as the Pitch Whisperer. His claim to fame is showing sales teams how to turn mundane case studies into compelling case stories so they win more new business. Now, why is this relevant? Mm -hmm. Because telling great stories applies to everything in life, including the story we tell ourselves about midlife. And John is here today to talk to you about how to create compelling stories. His TED Talk, Be the Lifeguard of Your Own Life, has over a million views. John is compelling. 
His best-selling book, Better Selling Through Storytelling, an online course, Revenue Rockstar Mastery, is awesome. His newest book, The Sale is in the Tale, is a business fable set in Austin, Texas, and it's about a sales representative whose old ways of selling are simply not working anymore. I think that's something we can all relate to. Furthermore, whether you like it or not, we are all in sales. The stories we tell ourselves, how we want to be perceived amongst others, we are in sales and we are all telling and conveying a story each and every day of our lives. So it's a real pleasure of mine to have John Livesey joining me on the Midlife Mail podcast today. Let's go. John Livesey is here with me, the Pitch Whisperer. Welcome. Thanks, Greg. Great to be with you. So this is exciting for me. Um, and I'm just going to start out. Like We met through, through Impact 11, mm-hmm. uh, Speakers Bootcamp, Demo Days, You know this incredible group that, that is helping us all kind of get to that next level of yes. our writing, speaking careers. And it's new for me and it's not new for you. Um, so I just also wanted to put that out there as a thank you because you're so warm, you're so welcoming, uh-huh. and you're this guy who just like doles out tips and knowledge and wisdom and experience with this big smile on his face. So, so thank you for that. You're welcome. People have done it to me, so it's fun to pass it on. Well, well, that's actually a cool thing. I wanted to ask you kind of at the top, like, have you always been this way, this kind of generous with experience and information mm. and everything without this kind of, you know, expectation of receipt or any kind of like, I don't feel anything like proprietary with you. Like I'm. Yes. I think I have always been that person who doesn't come from a place of scarcity, but instead comes from a place of abundance and me helping you or helping anyone else doesn't take away from my success. In fact, the opposite usually happens. And I know when I'm giving and coming from a place of service, whether I'm in front of an audience or just having a one-on-one conversation, that energetically things just seem to flow without me having to track it. Uh, And so it takes things from being transactional to being more about the relationship. Mm. Always this way was this like hey, my parents taught this to me, or I had a shitty experience at work when I was the other way and I realized I should be different. You know, like, where did it come from? Well, my mom taught me that I could be anything I wanted. It was like, literally, that was the message. The sky's the limit. Don't set limits. Dream big. And my dad taught me that the most important thing in life is friendships. Mm. So I saw him certainly living that. And uh, that was the number one thing for him is how good a friend are you? So that was sort of my guiding lights, those two things. And, you know, I've certainly had my share of bosses that were not, let's say, supportive uh, <laughs> or overly critical. And I thought to myself, well, that is not what I want to be. That's not where I thrive. So the, some, even sometimes bad examples are a lesson of what we don't want to be. So I think that's led me to realize that even though I worked in companies where they would stack the reps against each other every week, every month, every quarter. And, you know, it feels great when you're the salesperson of the year and it also feels bad when you're not. And that really is what helped me create my mission, Greg, which is to help as many people as possible get off the self-esteem roller coaster where you Mm -hmm. only feel good if your numbers are up and bad, if they're down, because I was on it and it's exhausting. 
And so for me, the big aha moment was who I am is bigger than any one thing happening to me at any time. And that's what gave me the sense of freedom to not be attached to a no or something not happening when I think it should happen. I tend to be a little impatient. I think we talked earlier that you and I share that characteristic sometimes. Absolutely. And I, as, as you're talking, I'm identifying with this more and more. And I'm even going over kind of the roller coaster, you know, mm. in my head, you know, of what's even transpiring with me now, mm-hmm. you know, and I think this is probably what, you know, if you're sitting in the audience and you're listening to you, or we're having this conversation one-on-one, or there's somebody in their car right now listening to this, whoever, like, we're all on these roller coasters. Yes. And, and we tend to look at, at the outcome, or we tend to look at where people are like today. And we tend to see the highlights because that's right. what people tend to, to post, you know, and, right. and put out there. Um, and I really like this concept of, of, of getting off the roller coaster, you know, and being able to kind of be secure with who you are or where you are in it and be able to maybe, you know, not get too high on the highs and too, too low, you know, on the lows because we all face them. I could have a big day like yesterday and we spoke yesterday and, and the book is out and I'm in Austin and I'm doing things. The flip side of that, you know, we also talk about is the drive home you know, in traffic to get to a game, you know, bills are piling up, economy is changing. You know, like it is a roller coaster and it's very easy to like just get high and then like really get down mm. you know, or ignore, you know, the, the other side. How did you, de- how did you develop this? I guess one, identify it with it yourself yes. and then develop what you're able to, to teach and speak to about it. Well, no surprise, I have a story. Uh, I, back in 2008, got laid off when the mortgage crisis was hitting. And it's a little different mortgage crisis now in 2022, but it was, a you know, people were laying things off. The economy was very shaky. Um, and I got the call from my boss who was in New York and I was in LA at the time saying, we're laying off all the outside office sales reps. 30% of the New York team. And it felt like a kick to the gut because I'd been there, you know, 15 years. And um, they said, we need you to clean out your office by the end of the day. And luckily my lifeguard training kicked in, which was to not panic in those situations and to stay calm. And I said, well, don't you need a status report to know where these ads are supposed to be running and what issue and what page? Said, well, that would be great. Everyone else is so angry. They're just storming out. And I thought, I'm not going to do that. I've watched these people get married, have kids. Uh, And so I was able to put that ahead of my own fear, sadness, anger, all those feelings that you have. And so I had a couple of friends help me, you know, pack up my office and I'm closing the door. And I thought, I've lost my job, but not my identity. And that was sort of the guiding light of how do I get out of this darkness? And a friend of mine said, you know, what's happened to you reminds me of what happened to the silent movie stars. Some made it to talkies and some didn't. And you have to transition from selling print to selling digital. And we all have that choice. Are we going to learn something new? Things are being disrupted. Do you know what an NFT is? Do you know what blockchain is? Or are you just going to say, I'm going to stay in the silent movie era and not learn anything new and not have any new skills? So um, I decided I was going to be the kind of person that would learn how to sell digital. And it was rough. It was a whole new language and I had to take a big pay cut and 
Um, I ended up going to the Daily Beast for a couple of years and getting some traction. And then I got the call to come back to Condé Nast after two years because of the way I'd left. Little did I know that leaving on that high note would cause me to get an offer to come back. And I said, well, if I come back, I'm not coming back with any fear because I was always afraid of not making my quota, the magazine going out of business. And I realized, Greg, that you can't have fear and creativity happening at the same time. Mm. You're either feeling one or the other. You know, there's creativity does not come from a place of fear. So I said, I'm not, I'm going to come back with no fear because I've already been laid off and I figured out I can survive and make something else happen. And so that allowed me to come up with this really creative idea where I went to guest jeans and I said, it's your 30th anniversary at the same time it's the magazine's 40th. What if we did a joint celebration? And they loved the idea and they gave me this exclusive supplement to go inside with all the models from the guest years. And I ended up winning salesperson of the year two years after being laid off for the whole company, not just my magazine, it was 400 reps. And that's when the aha moment hit me of, wait a minute, I'm the same person that got laid off as I am standing here winning this salesperson of the year award for the company. That's got to get me to realize if I want to be off the self-esteem roller coaster, I can't let whatever's happening outside of myself determine my mood or how I, what I think about myself. Mm, so, so good. Um, again, and so relatable, you know, that, that particularly with men, mm. especially as they, as they get into midlife, which is where, kind of where their identity is so wrapped up in, in their career because they have over-indexed in that area for probably the first 20 years, you know, of their of their lives, which is you get right. out of college and we're taught okay, that you graduate and then you get a job and you work your way up you know, there. And the metric for success, I've talked about this before, for men is typically you know, salary and title. Right. And when they remove that, and I had it at various stages. First, I had it at Miramax, you know, when you have Miramax on your card oh, yeah. and you're in the entertainment industry, it stood for something. When I left and it was just Greg Scheinman calling, calls don't get don't don't get returned, you know. And Even some something sense, as subtle as a restaurant reservation. Oh, a- absolutely. When you make a All restaurant reservation at a nice restaurant, and they go, "Oh, yes, of course, we have a table for you." And you're just calling as yourself, they're like, "Yeah, no." <laughs> Correct. When you're calling from so and so's office, or when you're calling from such and such a company, and yeah. it's again very easy to have your identity wrapped up in these things and the ego you know, of it. Mm -hmm. And especially in these industries, you know, like you've played in also, you know, advertising and magazines and publications, you know, there's, there's a lot of that. The image is everything, you know, kind of thing. Big time. I'm also curious, you know, once you grasp a hold of the notion that your identity is not where Mm -hmm. you work or who you work for, how you began your transition into you know what I also kind of call like like solopreneurship, you know, oh, which is yeah. hey, it really yeah. is about me. Mm-hmm. And I can also build a business around me. That that's fascinating to me. Well, my own story of origin on how I became a professional sales keynote speaker is I wrote a book while I was at Condé Nast. Uh, the first one was about 15 years ago. And I had this wonderful publisher who had launched Oprah's magazine. So she was incredibly supportive of me doing this. And so I could go to advertisers like Land Rover and Jaguar, which used to be based in LA, 
and say, you know, if you run your ad in my magazine, it reaches affluent people, they could see it and put it on their short list of cars to test drive. And then as added value, the magazine's going to have me speak to your sales team on how to sell to the luxury market, not take rejection personally, and buy copies of my book for everyone. And that really launched my speaking career because I could get in front of other salespeople. I've been in their shoes. I know what quotas are. I know what rejection feels like and give them some real tangible tips. And that started to become a great way to not only get advertising, but I was selling myself as the added value in the book and the talk. And then I started getting requests from non-advertiser sales teams saying, we want you to come speak to our team. We're not an advertiser in the magazine, but we've heard you really are helping XYZ companies do that. So that is how I was able to start saying, when I decided I was going to go out on my own, I thought, all right, I already have some momentum. I know I can tap into the pain points of not taking rejection personally and how to um, not be attached. No now doesn't mean no forever. And all those little nuggets that I've created that helped me be successful. Um, and then I just now translate it to different industries, specifically healthcare and tech is my sweet spot. Mm. So you speak typically to sales teams and about sales. Mm? It's right behind you. I know you guys can't see it at home, but the, <laughs> the, newer, the newer book, the sale, the sale is in the tail. And we're going to talk to you guys about how you can, you know, check out the book and, and, and get a taste of that. But, you know, in speaking to, to sales teams and in focusing on sales, I'm also a, a proponent of the, we're all in sales, you know, oh, to, yeah. a, to a degree. Mm? Especially again, now more than ever, you know, personal brand, you know, how you present yourself, how you're perceived, whether you're really out there in the public eye or not, but we're all in some form of, of sales. Yes. What is some of your advice mm -hmm. to just men who are out there like you or I, mm -hmm. From a salesmanship standpoint of like, hey, like mm. you're living, man. So you're, you are in sales, you know? If you have resistance to calling yourself or thinking of yourself as a salesperson because you have these old notions of, oh, it's pushy, it's manipulative, it's all those things. Um, I often get brought into sales teams who don't want to think of themselves as salespeople, architects, mm. lawyers. They have to sell to convince people to hire them to renovate an airport or be the you know, law firm of record. And so I said, let's just shift this concept of how we perceive ourselves as I'm a salesperson. They're like, no, I'm a lawyer. I'm an architect. I don't want to be a I'm like, you could be a lawyer or an architect that tells stories. Boom. Oh, I can do that. And the good news about storytelling, Greg, is you don't have to be gifted like an opera singer or an athlete. Um, it is a skill everyone can learn. And one of the things that people have found working with me is, oh, I thought I was a pretty good storyteller, but now you've taught me how to tell a story that's clear, concise, and compelling, my three Cs. Because if it's not clear, the confused mind says no. If it's not concise, nobody can remember it and you want them to remember it so they can repeat it. And finally, it has to be compelling where we're tugging at heartstrings to get people to open purse strings, because when you realize people buy emotionally and then back it up with logic, your whole way of approaching people is completely different than just pushing out facts. I love that. So 
you said, say that again, heart, heart strings to purse strings. Is that right? Yes. You tug at the heart strings by making a story. And I have an example of a story that does that. And that's what gets people to open the purse strings. Okay. I want to hear the example for sure, because again, this to me is, is spot on again, as somebody, look, I've sold DVDs out of the trunk of my car you know, uh-huh. to, to build a business to memberships at a, at a rowing studio to people who didn't know how to row okay. know, <laughs> to, you know, 14 plus years in insurance. When you think about sales, it's yeah. right up there with, with used car salesmen in terms yeah. of, I think, perception. Yeah. And the notion was always about how to transcend exactly what you just said, transcend the notion of being a salesperson. Right. Salesperson, salesman, whatever you want to, sounds bad. Anyone. We, so for whatever reason, right or wrong, we could debate that. Right? The connotation on that word has become kind of a negative. Mm-hmm. It's associated with, with either, you know, greed, I'm going to get screwed over, or whatever it is. Somebody's trying to sell me something and the wall goes up that I don't want to buy it. Mm-hmm. Right. And we did this for all, you want to transcend that. And we would call, you know, we call them, you know, producers instead of sell. We call advisors, consultants. I'm writing this down, you know, how to be an, you know, an expert or a thought leader. And you need to, you need to add value. You're not selling anything. You're adding, right. you know, you're adding value. But right. the disconnect is quite frankly, you show up at the sales meeting, which they still call sales meetings. Right. And they're all about the numbers, as you said, the <laughs> quotas, the metrics, all of those yep. things. And they don't get into the how. The how you transcend from right. sales to these other kind of titles we pull out of the air so that yeah. they don't seem like salesperson, but we all know that they are. Now you've focused on and have made a career out of story. Yes. And it started when I was selling advertising and Lexus's ad agency would say, look, uh, we looked at about 25 magazines. We've narrowed it down to 10. We're going to run in three and we're inviting the 10 of you to come in for 30 minutes of pop media day, back to back to back, come in and do not talk about numbers. We've already looked at that. That's why you're in the final 10. Half the reps were deer in headlights, Greg. Can't talk about my circulation and my reader's income. I don't know what I'm going to talk about. And that's when I realized, oh, whoever tells the best story of what the marketing idea is going to be is going to get this in the final three. And so now I work with so many companies who say, you know, we get into this final three situation all the time. And we're so tired of coming in second place because unlike the Olympics, there's no medal for second place in business. And we, I had one client actually say to me, we ask if we can go last, hoping that whoever goes last is memorable. And I said, Ooh, hope is not a strategy that you get to go last. I'm going to show your team how to tell stories that make you memorable. Because here's the secret that's going on. There's the meeting after the meeting. And what do I mean by that? So put yourself in the buyer's shoes. They hear three presentations. Then they have another meeting after the meetings. And they go, well, what do you think? I don't know. They all sound the same. I guess we should go with the cheapest. Your kiss of death. Especially if you're selling a premium price product. But the one who told a story that's clear, concise, and compelling, you know, I really like that story that Greg told about how he helped these people get out of this midlife crisis mode. And I could see myself in that story. And I really feel like he's the one that we should go with. And someone goes, oh, well, I didn't hear his presentation. What's the story? And they remember your story and they can become your brand ambassadors and repeat your story for you. Hmm. So I know it's good also 
And guys, when you hear that pause or that scribble going on, that's me <laughs> taking notes, okay? Because it's that good and it lands everywhere in, in every profession. Mm -hmm. Yes. Or even amateur hour or prof amateurs or profession. <laughs> you know? Now I start thinking about, again, like I start thinking about my son in college mm -hmm. and where this can be applied there. I start thinking about my son in high, where this can be applied. Lessons you can teach your children, lessons, you, you know, mm -hmm. again, how to transcend and differentiate yourself from yeah. the marketplace, which has become so detached, you know, right in there. So how here's, here's my other one. I, I'm always fascinated again about the how okay. I kind of like get the why spent a yeah. lot of time on the why, like get why you want to be number one salesperson. Guess why you want to make, you know, get why you want to make Dean's list. Guess get yep. why you want to lose weight and, and maximize middle age. But here's the issue. we got to get into the how. Okay? Sure. How do you learn to tell a good story or right. even know what makes a good story? Well, we have our little checklist now, the three C's. Every time you tell a story, you want to ask yourself, is it clear? Is it concise? And is it compelling? And ask people before you present that story, your friends, your spouse, whoever, say, what do you think of that story? And ask them, was it, did, you, did, you, did I lose you? Did I say an acronym that confused you? Um, is it something you could remember? Was it short enough? And finally, did it make you feel anything? So now there's four steps to a really great story. And I'm going to tell you the steps. And then I'm going to tell you the story that tugs at the heartstrings. So it all comes together. So the four steps, the first one is the exposition. Think of yourself like a journalist. Who, what, where, when, paint that picture. You need enough detail that we know where we are, how long ago it was, and we feel like we're in the story. Then the second step is you describe a problem. Unless the stakes are high in a story, Greg, nobody cares. And the better you describe a problem to a potential buyer, the more they think you have their solution because you understand their problem. So they go, oh my gosh, what are you in my head? Right? We know this from marketing, advertising copy. When you describe, are you tired of coming in second place? Which is what a lot of my clients have said to me. And when I put that out in social media posts, I get so much response because that's what people are frustrated with. So the better you can articulate the problem and your story, the better your story is. And then finally you have your solution. Now the fourth and final secret step most people don't have is the resolution. What is life like working with Greg after six months and after a year? Imagine if the Wizard of Oz ended when Dorothy got in that balloon and to go back to Kansas, the end. But no, there's that wonderful clip of her at bed going, oh, there's no place like home. I so appreciate everybody. That's why that's a classic story because there's a resolution. All right. So let's go through those steps while you listen to this story. Does that sound good? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So Olympus Medical came to me and, um, you know, they said, John, we've got this equipment that makes the surgeries go 30% faster. We're not selling as many as we think we should. The it's so obvious. Why aren't the doctors buying this? So, well, because that's a number and there's no emotion and there's no story. So now instead of saying we have something that makes your surgeries go 30% faster, they tell this, what I call a case story instead of a case study. Imagine how happy Dr. Higgins was six months ago down at Long Beach Memorial using our equipment when he could go out to the patient's family in the waiting room an hour earlier than expected. And if you've ever waited for somebody you love to come out of surgery, you know every minute feels like an hour. The doctor comes out and says, good news, the scope shows they don't have cancer, they're going to be fine. Turns to the rep and says, you know, that's why I became a doctor. 
for moments like this. Now that rep tells that story to another doctor at another hospital who sees themselves in the story and says, you know what? That's why I became a doctor. I want your equipment too. Well, the client said, oh my gosh, that gives us chills. Not only are we not telling a story, it never occurred to us to make a patient's family a character in the story. So that's a case story tugging at the heartstrings. The doctor is the hero of the story, not you, not the client, not your product. So the exposition is, you know, the doctor's name, you know where it was, how long ago. The problem is clearly the patient's family. And you see how I use the technique, Greg, of pulling you and everybody else into the story by saying, if you've ever waited for someone you love. And even if you haven't, you could probably imagine it or you know somebody who had had to go through that. And then the solution, the doctor comes out and says, you know, they're going to be fine. But the real ticket here is the doctor saying to the rep, that's why I became a doctor from moments like this. That's the compelling part. The Midwife Mail podcast would not be possible without the support of some incredible brand partners. I only recommend brands I use, believe in, and trust. And each brand was handpicked by me for a specific reason. I believe in these guys, not just because they're great companies with great people behind them, but because the stuff works. I use these to stay at my peak and I suggest you do too. So go over to midwifemail.com and click on special offers for exclusive Midwife Mail discounts and promotions. You did this with me and the balcony of the theater in Detroit. Okay. Mm-hmm. Within like 10 minutes of, of meeting one another, you know, up there. Hey, tell me what you're going to talk about. And I go into, well, you know, I'm talking about maximizing middle age and the transition. And you're like, that, 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 like, stop. Okay. What if, and then you start going, so it brings back these memories again and how applicable it is. No, do you know someone, you know, a guy, he's in his forties, he's a little bit overweight, maybe 10 or 15 pounds. He's drinking a little too much. He's been working at the same company for too long. He's not happy. He's on rinse and repeat and conformity and complacency. And and I'm sitting here going, yeah, I am the fucking guy. Okay. Like I've been the Uh guy. Okay. I'm trying to talk to all the guys out there. Okay, great. Thank you for just rewriting the first 15 minutes of my speech. (laughs) (laughs) that's it and and it is it's it's so good and i go back to thinking again about the applications guys out there wherever you are in your life everybody's got a story Mm -hmm. it's really about how you want to tell it Mm -hmm. to get yourself to the next phase and the next and the next place right out there and about bringing in these life experiences that we've had to help take our lives again to the next, to the next level. Correct. I just think it's, I just think it's really cool. Does hey. this apply? Okay, let me. Ask. I, again, I talk about my boys a lot. I would assume this applies to parenting as oh. well. I can use this. Of course. In fact, I was just talking. Because when I get hired as a sales keynote speaker, I always interview people in the audience so I can customize my talk. And I've got uh, a talk coming up through a company that happens to sell motors, everything from a motor in a air conditioning unit to huge motors in factories. And I was talking to one of their reps and I was working with him on how did you get into this industry? Why are you passionate about it? And uh, he said, Well, my dad was a great storyteller and in sales, and I used to go on sales 
trips with him in the car when I was about 10. And so that's what made me get into sales. And I said, fantastic. That's a nice little story of origin. Your dad's legacy is continuing. Great. And um, then he has three daughters, he, he told me. And after we had our call, he wrote me and said, you know, my 16-year-old daughter came in and goes, how was that call about? And he said, oh, it's all about storytelling. And um, she said, well, dad, did you tell him the story of what happened when I was 10 years old? He goes, no, I forgot. What what story? And she said, you got this call from a shopping center. They said it was urgent. You thought the air conditioning had gone out or something. And it turned out it was that little pony named Sandy. The motor had broken that the kids would put a nickel in and ride. And there was a lot of disappointed parents and kids at the mall. That's why it was urgent for you to come fix it. And so you did. And then I got to brag to all my friends that my dad was the hero and he fixed Sandy. You can go ride Sandy again. And he showed me the picture of the horse. I'm like, I'm going to put that in my talk with the picture of Sandy. So Mm -hmm. it works with your relationship with your parent and it works with your children where when they start relating to tell, you know, because I'm sure everybody who's ever had kids has had this question asked. I know I certainly asked my parents, tell me the story again of the day I was born or tell me the story of your wedding or tell me the story of how you two met. Right. So our, we're, we're wired for stories. And when you can say, you know, when I was your age, whatever the age is, I know what it was like to be frustrated. Why am I having to learn this? I'm never going to use it, whatever it is. I mean, you know, and so they start to go, Oh, you're not just my parent. You were once my age. Let me wrap my head around that for a minute. So that's how I think storytelling can help. Takeaway being also, tell a story. Don't think about making a sale. Mm-hmm. Yes. Make a connection. You know, exactly. develop a rapport. Mm-hmm. Go a little deeper. Right. Think think a little differently out there. Yep. And if you can get to those heartstrings, you will ultimately get to those purse strings. But it's an indirect. It's an indirect route. Mm-hmm. It is. And all too often, we try to stay, take the straight shot. You know right to the sale. And that's where, and that's where we miss it both in business and in life. Exactly. I was working with an orthopedic surgeon and he said, you know, that structure you taught me exposition, problem, solution, resolution for my case stories. My seven-year-old daughter said, daddy, tell me a story. He goes, okay, I'm going to read you good night moon. No, 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 no. Tell me a story. He said, for a minute, I panicked. But then I remembered your storytelling structure and I made up a story about a girl that was just like her about the same age. And I used the structure to tell my daughter a, a story for her bedtime story. And so that really touched me. Mm. Your story now, okay? mm. like what does a day look like, like for you again, as a speaker, as right. a writer, mm. for me, this is like in, in kind of getting acclimated into this world again, yeah. Sure. It's this whole different culture out there uh-huh. of, you know, a way these, this industry of all these unique characters kind of right. operate and navigate and move around the country and, and, you know, train like athletes and travel with certain things and do yep. like it's again, walk me through your story. Well, a week ago um, I was flying from Austin to San Francisco. I had been hired by an architecture firm there to um, come in and teach their team how to tell their story better to win new clients. And they uh, happened to design the San Francisco airport, the world's largest architecture firm, Gensler. So I'm really big on getting someplace early and 
especially with canceled flights or delayed flights and weather and all this other stuff. So I didn't have to be there till Thursday at noon. They said, we'll pay for you to fly in the night before I go. Great. I'm going to fly in the morning of. <laughs> so I got to San Francisco Wednesday around noon and I shot a little video, little Instagram video. If you go to the Pitch Whisperer, you can see it on my Instagram of me at the San Francisco airport with some of the designs they'd done. And I went to San Francisco when I got out of college. So for me, full circle, all those years later, where I was just starting out in San Francisco, now I'm being hired as a speaker to come back to the city as the subject matter expert on storytelling. Um, that was thrilling. So I take people with me on the journey on Instagram with little videos like that. And um, then, you know, I had a day to explore the city again and re see things for myself and um, I always let them know when I'm in town. So that's one less thing they have to worry about. And then I get an email the morning I'm supposed to give my talk um, from my speaking manager saying, oh, you just got an inquiry from, it was this motor company. Um, and they're interested, but they want to talk to you first before they pull the trigger to hire you. Are you free? And I said, well, I'm free at 11 a.m. for 30 minutes before I have to go give this talk at noon. And so I had this conversation with them about what their challenges were and why they wanted storytelling and why I thought I could be a good fit. And the call went really well. And again, I'm selling myself on how I can help their salespeople and not be seen as a commodity and all that stuff. Um, and right as I was about to go on stage at Gensler, I get the text from my manager, congrats, they loved you. They booked it. So that is a that's like the dream day, right? You, you're traveling to someplace fun and exciting and you get to um, uh, book your next talk before you even give your, right? so all your confidence levels up and you're talking mm -hmm. about, I'm about ready to go give a talk. So all that momentum, you literally have wind in your sails. And you know what that's like as an athlete when you're in the zone, right? And you're feeling like you got your second wind and, you know, not every day is like that. Um, I had to go to Columbus, Ohio for a workshop I was running to help a team with their pitch. And, you know, there was an ice storm coming in Austin. So I had to spend the night unexpectedly in Atlanta. And then I get to the Atlanta airport and I get in the cab and the cab gets a flat tire. I'm like, oh my God, am I ever going <laughs> to, this day is endless. But when you love what you do, all of that is just noise. I mean, you go back again to, you know, what you touched on a little bit earlier with this, you know, the high highs and the low lows, you know, and back to, again, your identity. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not also wrapped up into just the amazing days in the amazing locations. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Getting paid well, you know, for it, booking the next job while you haven't even delivered the talk for the first job. Mm -hmm. And it's also the identity isn't the low low, like here I am in Akron, you know, or Columbia or wherever, you know, <laughs> in horrible weather, you know, do, doing this for, you know, X percentage of my normal rate because blah, 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 you know, we've done this and everything, all of that. I think, again, you know, the viewpoints are always on, oh, there's a book cover and there's a speaker and there's all this right. other stuff and this cool story on Instagram that you talked about. Underneath it is mm, invoicing, billing, calls, getting told no, getting to the 90 yard line and realizing, okay, I can't punch it in because they're going to go hire somebody. Like somebody else was having the same calls that right. I was. I okay. think I'm there. Then all of a sudden it's not me, you know, kind of people don't really really see that. I think those layers are interesting again to peel back and be like, Hey, like yep. this is also about perseverance. Oh, mm -hmm. This is about yep. grit. 
the stories, the ones that land almost the hardest are typically the ones that aren't so happy, like that are real Mm -hmm. and vulnerable. We talked a little bit yesterday about, about vulnerable. If you would go into that, you know, aspect again, I think men in particular Mm. struggle with Mm -hmm. vulnerability. Well, particularly even in sales, we want to come from a position of, yeah. again, a position of strength, you know? The black and white thinking, either I'm 100% confident or I'm 100% weak, all or nothing, is just not how people are and nobody wants to relate to you that way. When we're vulnerable, that's actually how people connect to us. A classic example for me when I was younger, I was uh, rear-ended and I had to wear a neck brace or uh, you know, those things after a car accident whiplash. And I was going to go see a friend sing at a country Western place. And I thought, oh, I don't want to draw attention to myself. Um, I don't want her asking me, are you okay? And I just, so I'll just take this off and go see the show. I'll be fine. Well, halfway into this show, I was in so much pain because I didn't, I took that neck brace off because I didn't want to pe- appear vulnerable. And that's not even my personality. That's like, oh, I'm weak. I got hit. I'm not, you know, I'm not at my peak physical thing. And I thought, how crazy is that? And now the vulnerability of allowing people to know what it felt like to be laid off, to what does it feel like to be divorced? That's not the story I had pictured for my life. And we all have to figure out ways that we're going to reinvent ourselves and not stay down when we get knocked down. So that willingness to be vulnerable, I have a whole concept here where I say soft skills make us strong. And even that phrase, Greg, your brain goes, wait a minute, how can something soft, because that's not what we want in the gym <laughs> or in the bedroom, right? Make us strong. That cons- that's, that's a very strange, and even putting a phrase together like that causes your brain to pay attention. <clears throat> so when you're working on content or coming up with something that you want to break through the clutter, using words like that. So how, what do I mean? Well, what is the soft skill? Empathy, listening, storytelling. When you have all three of those happening, that's when the emotional connection happens. And now we know that people buy emotionally, not logically. That's why you want to appear and share some of your own vulnerabilities, some of your own stories. Mm. This concept of, of, again, being able to lean in, you know, to that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to not always, you know, come at the resistance with, with more resistance or more, or more pressure, you know, that's, that's there. Um, it's, it's a really great concept. Again, I go through it continuously thinking about, okay, where are all the applications again? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are we too rigid again with our, you know, with our diet, you know, right. Mm -hmm. Where we can apply this versus, Hey, maybe 80, 20, maybe 70, 30, stop beating yourself up over the the burger or the slice of pizza. If you're consistent 70, 80% of the time, you're going to win out. Same thing, fitness, you know, in there, you know, the family conversation you have to mention, you know, you mentioned in the bedroom and everything else, guess what? Like, okay, little empathy, little listening, little, little goes a long way, you know, especially when you're 20 plus years deep into these relationships, you know, and, yeah. you know, and that's, that's, that stuff gets challenging. It's in the boardroom you know, as well. And in these rooms, you know, we're going through a lot of tough times. You know, I think also what gets forgotten is, is the individuals in a way that make up these companies, these organizations, these boardrooms, these right. sales teams. And here we are again, 
You know? Right. Personal goals, various ages and stages. You've got guys in the front end of their career raring to go. You got guys maybe in the middle or the tail end, you know, their career seeing things differently. And that empathy, that ability to relate, be able to put yourself in their shoes, tell a story about it, you know, all of it again is just is super, super impactful because we forget a lot of times. We're all having a rough time, you know, like in our, in our own lives, life, life is just challenging. It's difficult. Mm-hmm. And as a speaker, it's up to us to be in the moment as much as possible. And so if that audience has just been told they're having pay cuts or layoffs coming, you can't pretend that's not what they're thinking about when you're speaking to them. Mm. And they want you to be vulnerable and real with them of, and show some empathy of, you know, maybe you experienced that or, you know, and have something that can re- that they can relate to as opposed to, oh, this is just a talk this person gives every time they speak and it has nothing to do with where I am right now. The opposite you strike you me is a, you strike me as a pretty happy guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of them, and I heard that, I can't remember where I heard this or who exactly said it. I think it was actually Heath, Heath Ledger, the late, the late actor that said, you know, yes. everybody asks you, you know, what you do, you know? Or how you are. Nobody ever asks, like, are you happy? You know, mm, overall, right. you strike me as a and pretty happy guy. Like, one, I mean, is that really the case? Or what are your, you know, what do you do? You know, your hobbies, your habits, your behaviors right. you know, that have helped you kind of stay on this on this positive tip, you know, this happy tip that makes people around you kind of <laughs> even want to ask you, like, fuck you so happy about John? Like all the time. Well, that's a really good point, Greg, because when we're selling ourselves, and that's what we sell first, is it's we're selling our energy. Do I want to hang out with you? Do I want to be with you? Do I want you in my... I remember getting hired as a speaker and the event planner said, you just made me feel so much better on the call. I figured you could make the 350 people at our event feel good. So that's energy. So that is always a choice. I w- I'm not always happy. When I moved to Austin March 1st, 2020, and then the pandemic hit, I was like, all these people I had scheduled to meet in person from my connections in other cities are like, well, obviously that's not happening. And then live events got canceled. And I was like, what is going on? And even the swimming pool, which is my big source of stress outlet, was closed. And I was losing my mind. I thought the things that bring me joy, swimming, speaking at events, going to live theater on Broadway and musicals, None of that's available. I have, and the people, and I kept telling myself, you know, even if you were still in LA, you'd still be on Zoom calls, but it was very isolating. And uh, and then also for me, the hardest part of that was the unknown. How long is this going to last? Two weeks, two months? Someone said 18 months. Are you kidding me? 18 months on this? Uh, that was, and so that's been my big lesson is how do I get comfortable with the unknown? When is my next speaking gig coming? When is, how long is this pandemic lasting? All those unknowns, really um and i thought okay let's go back to some basics what brings me joy walking my dog in the park okay great what else photography oh look how cool barton springs pool here you know look at all these amazing turtles look at all this nature so i'm suddenly taking pictures of turtles and walking my dog and i'm like i'm gonna buy a bike you can still bike ride (laughs) they don't they didn't close the bike paths um so i had to find a new way to be happy 
and move and get outside and, and not feel like I have to stay in all the time. I think that's actually a, a great point. You know, when, when everything is stripped away, you know, what is it that we choose to bring back or what do we go back? What do we default again back to? Mm-hmm. And for a lot of men, it's work. You know, we typically default to work. Right. Because that's what we get up and get dressed and we go to work and that's what we default back to. And then they change the change the game on how that looks, you know, mm-hmm. or for a lot of ways, you don't have it. You know, you've talked about being laid off. We talk, I talked to a lot of guys about, you know, in transition. Do they want to quit their job or follow their passion? Is that even possible? You know, or now we're going to come up on it again, I'm pretty sure, more layoffs, you know, and cutbacks based on where, what we're hearing about, you know, the economy now, what do we do? How do we go back to basics? What do we default to? And also you mentioned curiosity and what are we willing to still learn? Yes. And for me, which is a big one. I had to learn how to give virtual talks and keep 200 and some people entertained on a Zoom call and not make it a boring Zoom call. And, you know, it created another need where clients were saying, can you teach our salespeople how to be good on camera? A lot of them are uncomfortable and nervous and they don't know how to set it up. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm literally one chapter ahead of you because the the lights and the camera and all the stuff I've ordered is on back order because everything was out of stock. But when it arrives, yes, I'll have it all set up. And I had to, you know, reinvent myself one more time and become a virtual keynote speaker Mm. on storytelling and sales and learn how to have special effects and all kinds of stuff that would keep people engaged and justify, you know, a fee. You know, I like the the you know, concept again of, of reinvention also. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I've talked about this quite a bit, you know, like, oh, you reinvented yourself, you just on one hand, you know, you got reinvention and what you're talking about, you know, exists. You know, for me, I I would answer that and say, look, you know. I don't think I really reinvented myself. I think I released myself. You know, mm-hmm. I think I was always this way. It was always here. Now situations and circumstances have allowed me to, to put it out there more or to, to be that, you know, that falls more on the, on the authenticity tip on the reinvention side. What interests me here again is, Hey, I have a topic and a subject, you know, and, and a, and a niche that I love talking about and it's story. Mm-hmm. Right. Now you want me to talk about potentially cameras, lighting, speaking on camera. You know what I mean? Like that. Okay. Do and and I don't think I how do guys also, how do we wrap our heads around sometimes what we have to do mm. in a way versus what we want to do, right. what we need to do, you know, and how do we accept all those? Meaning, hey, if I don't learn to do this, I'm good at it by the way. I'm good at makeup. I'm good at hair. I'm good at lighting. I'm good at acting. I'm good at talking. Okay. Not what I typically talk about, but I can teach other people to do it. Right. Perfect world. I'd be talking about sales and the sales in the tail and pitch whisper <laughs> stuff and putting my cape on and everything, but I got to keep the lights on. Yep. Right. And that allows me to walk my dog by my bike and take my pictures in the park. Yep. I got, I think that gets lost a lot. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Willing to, when we listen to what clients need, and sometimes with a big unexpected shift like that, their needs change. And if you go, sorry, I only do this, I can't. And if enough people are requesting something and uh, willing to pay for it, then you're like, okay, that's something I have to figure out. Um, I've had clients recently say to me, 
you know, you've heard about the shortage of employees right now. Well, that's an ironic time. There's layoffs, but we also are short finding good people. So we have all these open jobs that we can't find qualified architects or we want to get the top people from a competitor to come over to our company uh, in real estate in particular. I have a client in that space. So can you give a talk on how to tell stories to recruit top talent? So we're no longer using, we loved what you did for us on how to win new business or a listing if you're in real estate or you know an architect getting an airport renovation project. But now we need to learn how to tell stories to recruit people. Mm. And I thought, yes, you're telling stories again. Your story, the company's story, a story of someone who came here and how their career has changed. But it requires, you know, that's how you get more than one keynote available if somebody wants to bring you back or wants that instead of the other. Interesting also, you know, in the dichotomy between, you know, generalist and specialist in a way like because you're a specialist, Mm -hmm. it does also lend opportunity to be, can you also? And then you've got to figure out where that line is Yeah, between like, what can I deliver again? What do I want to do? What do I have to do? What do I need to do in yep. each one of, in each one of these areas? Um, so I really appreciate you kind of like setting the table, you know, for that, because guys, it's, it's, it's not always, again, as you said, it's not black and white. <laughs> hmm? It really is in the middle. The middle can get messy, but the middle can also be the sweet spot. Like if you're really good at what you do, Mm-hmm. You can create other opportunities for yourself and again, be flexible in certain areas so that you can be extremely disciplined right. and productive and profitable you know, in these other areas that are, that are important to you. Um, John, this, this is awesome. We could do this for a very, very long time and we will absolutely do this. Uh, absolutely do this again. Um, where do people also, where do they find you? Okay. Where do they get your books? If they can't, you know, if they're not in an audience, you know, right. in a big room, because you played a big rooms, you know, uh-huh. out there also listening to you. How do people get in touch with you? How do they find you? How do they follow you? And then also how do, how do those big rooms, medium rooms, whatever room needs John, okay, how do they find you and book you? The easiest thing is just to go to my website, which is my name, johnlivesay.com. The book is uh, The Sale is in the Tale, which is a business fable about a story about storytelling and has some really great methodologies on how to tell better stories. If you can't remember any of that, just Google the Pitch Whisperer and all my content shows up. It's trademarked. That's my uh, handle on Instagram. And if anybody wants the first chapter of my book for free, just take out your phone and text the word pitch with a P, P-I-T-C-H to 66866 and you get the first chapter for free. You're going to want that. And then you're going to want the rest of the book. Okay, <laughs> So make sure you guys do that. I have done that. John has given me tips on my book and, and release and things that I am going to, to apply. Um, and guys, again, we go through the subject matter a lot out there. Take everything that John has said, listen to this back. And I don't care what your F's are, if they're the same as mine or different family, fitness, food, finance, fashion, fun, whatever order, you know, you put these in and you can apply mm-hmm, storytelling to each and every one of these areas. The story you tell yourself, mm-hmm, how you're perceived, how you want to perceive yourself. It's all in the story. It's all in that narrative. We are all in sales, mm-hmm, no matter what, whether we think so or not, get used to it. 
we are. Mm -hmm. And you can benefit from from what John does, what John says, uh, and what John writes about out there. So John Livesey, thank you. Midlife Mail Podcast, you are awesome, my friend. Appreciate it. Thank you. It was a great chat. Thank you so much. All right, Phil, we did this back to back. Yesterday, I I did John's. Today, we're here. Okay, I think we've covered a lot of ground. Listen to them in order, okay? (laughs) Back there, you'll get a couple of different perspectives. If you guys like what you have heard on the podcast, please give us the five-star rating. Leave us the positive review. This is what helps the show continue to move up the charts, keep the Midwife Male community growing, and I am grateful and appreciative for all of that. Until next week, we're out. If you're interested in coaching and taking this conversation deeper so that you can achieve your personal and professional goals, be sure to head over to midwifemail.com and check out the Work With Me page to explore options.